The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Great products do not magically get from the factory floor to the end consumer's hands. We call the process of moving goods from the factory floor to the showroom floor the logistics chain. And it's as important as the supply chain, as we've come to learn during the current pandemic. Plane loads of PPE that FEMA purchased from abroad didn't solve hospital shortages in the early months of the pandemic. That's because the challenge was to get those products into the hands of nurses, doctors, and other first responders. To do that, FEMA turned to the U.S. military for logistical support because no organization in the world can move more goods more quickly. That's what logistics is. It's the staging and movement of goods from where they are to where they need to be, when they need to be there, and to do it in the most economical and climate-sensitive manner possible. And when goods can be staged and delivered just in time, manufacturing capacity is actually grows. It's maximized. Logistics are to manufacturing as the supply of money, what we call M1, is to the actual money supply, M2. We both are driven by the speed with which something changes hands. Faster the turns of currency or inventory, bigger the economy. Faster the turns in a factory, more capacity is created. You're listening to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems, I don't make them. And regardless of the industry segment, logistics is an issue that almost always factors in resolving performance and profitability problems. So it seemed to me that it was a really good thing when Louis DeJoy, a successful logistics executive, was appointed Postmaster General of the United States last May. XPO Logistics, where Mr. DeJoy had previously served on the Board of Directors, is a significant contractor to the U.S. Postal System. It is one of the biggest full-service logistics services firms in the world. So here was a man who had spent his lifetime in the world of modern logistics, modern getting things where they need to be, when they need to be there as efficiently and cheaply as possible. A guy who can maximize capacity. He could, I thought, after careful evaluation and investigation, re-engineer the U.S. postal system to meet the challenges of the 21st century. You know, that was a plank of my congressional candidacy a few years back. Yep, one of the things I ran on was it was time to modernize and streamline the postal system. After all, the last time that somebody did a top-down, bottom-up look at that organization, the iPhone was not yet a dream in Steve Jobs' head. 
So yes, modernization is an absolute must at USPS. And there are lots of good ideas around that can be incorporated into such an effort. I've discussed some of them with you on the radio and on this podcast in the past, and I'm sure we'll be talking about them again at some point. But modernization would aim to make the postal system work more efficiently for the American people to provide better customer service. And that is simply not what has happened here. Three months after his appointment, Mr. Lovejoy has proved himself to be neither a patriot nor a professional. He is simply and disappointedly a strident partisan intent on making the postal system a toy, a tool of the Donald J. Trump reelection committee. He, keeps, he meets with the president frequently but he's refused to meet with congressional leadership. While shelter in place and, and have increased parcel post mail volumes exponentially, Lovejoy cut off postal worker overtime, shortened mail sorting hours, fired all 23 senior postal service executives, eliminating most of the long-term institutional knowledge in the organization, and is in the process of removing 700 plus or minus, you know, I've heard different numbers from 667 to 700 and some sorting machines from various sorting facilities around the country. Now, he's done all of that without ever announcing a restructuring plan that might put some of these decisions into proper perspective. Mr. Lovejoy has put his expertise to nefarious purpose. He has cynically reduced capacity in the mail system. Reduced capacity results in slower sorting and slower delivery of the mail. And you know what? Every day the mail is left unsorted or undelivered, new mail stacks up in the queue behind it. So on the first day of such a strategy, the mail gets delivered on time. On day two, the new mail is delivered by eh, maybe a day, but give it a month. And now you're seeing very significant delays, a ripple effect across the country growing exponentially every day and resulting in widespread reports of Medicare recipients who largely depend on mail order medications coming promptly because you can only get 30 days at a time. Well, those are potentially life-threatening situations if those meds don't arrive. Things like insulin, blood pressure meds, etc. So delays in first-class mail delivery are another result of in decreased capacity. You know, I spoke with an executive on a different topic yesterday, but while that person and I were talking, he was driving some time-sensitive materials from his office directly to a client. And I asked why he would do that, given that it's such a waste of time when he had such a day, busy day full of work. 
and what he told me was shocking. It would take a week in the mail. And we don't have a week to get this done. Now, I want you to know that document moved less than five miles from one zip code to the next. At first, not even at Christmas, does first class mail take a week. But Parcel Post is no different. Another person I spoke with yesterday on a different subject complained that, their, that the car their teenager needed uh, for the first day of school, in other words, to drive to school, was still in the shop. It was still in the shop, he reported, because the post office had delivered only one box of the two that had been shipped from the parts house that contained the parts that the mechanic needed to fix the car. And the mechanic, for two or three days, could not yet reach anyone on the phone at the local post office to track down the other package. And then while I was eating my lunch, I was kind of channel surfing. And Hero of Katrina, retired General Russell Honore, was on with Brian Williams on MSNBC in the middle of the day. And he was explaining that he was going to on this very day, and, and General Honore is not just the hero of Katrina, but you know, this is a guy who knows logistics from upside, downside, and sideways. But he was saying he was gonna actually have to drive to, Wal to Walgreens just to pick up a prescription refill that normally comes in the mail. But he was out of the medication and the mailed prescription had not shown up. For him, an able-bodied senior, it was not a big deal. It was an inconvenience. But he asked a really good question. What about people who can't just drive to their local Walgreens? That was a sentiment West Virginia Senator Joe Manch Manchin echoed on Friday. He was speaking of the calls to his office from all of the hollows of West Virginia, a Trump state. The anecdotes, both personal and from the press, add up to one thing. A deliberate effort to slow the mail is occurring across the country and ordinary people are feeling it. Now, mind you, they are supposed to feel it. It's part of the plan. Now comes the second shoe to drop. Now we know why the mail has been deliberately slowed. Letters went out this week from the General Consul of the Post Office to 46 state governors warning them that despite years of precedent, the Post Office will no longer treat ballots at mail-in ballots, ballots as first-class mail. The post office will thus not be able to guarantee that all mail-in ballots will be received by voters in time to be completed and returned in time to be counted in the November election. Moreover, mail that's not delivered will be dumped and the post office has stopped all efforts to log mail that they are dumping. So there will be no audit trail. Add to this the president's stated intent to send his lawyers to courts across the country to argue that regardless of postmark, which does require a sorting machine, if the ballot's not received by election day or election day plus three, it cannot be counted. 
California, for example, in its laws say that a, a ballot postmarked on election day and received within 17 calendar days of elections will be counted. Now, we're not dummies out here. We anticipate. And we anticipated that delay, thus the legal position. The president has gone so far as to threaten to challenge ballots that are put into locked ballot collection boxes that are normally found in local government buildings around the United States. I mean, even in highly Republican Ohio, they've announced they're not going to add any new locked boxes, but they're going to put out their locked box, their lock boxes. The clear intent of the president and his re-election campaign, including the postmaster general, is to suppress mail-in voting. Oh, you Cassandra, you say. Well, the numbers don't lie. The daily mail volume on any given day in the United States is in the neighborhood of 472.1 million pieces of mail. There's a whole lot of that mail I'd rather not get, but nonetheless. That amounts to about 3 billion a week or 12 billion in a four week period in a month. The estimated number of mail-in ballots to be issued by the states is roughly Mm, totally, plus or minus 100 million, maybe 125 million. They'll be mailed out during the month of September, probably up until about the 4th of October. And then over the next month, they will be returned because the election's on November 3rd. So if you do the math in your head, those ballots amount to a rounding error in our postal system. They amount to exactly one eight ten thousandths of one percent. It's hard to even get your head around that number. It's so small. Even if everyone in the country didn't return their ballot until November 2nd, the total of all of those ballots mailed back on one day would amount to less than 20% of the average daily total of pieces of mail that the mail system handles. So slowing the mail and making voters insecure about whether their mail-in vote will be received and counted in the midst of a pandemic is an attempt at voter suppression. And you know what, if voters, if attempting to, to use the mails to suppress voters is not a crime now, Congress ought to make it one. Vote at the polls and risk catching a potentially lethal disease. Vote by mail and risk your vote won't be counted. Or don't vote at all. See the above. Add to that the president's own admission that the $25 billion post office bailout, as he likes to call it, would make it easier for people to vote by mail 
And if they don't have the money, they can't do it. There he stands, blatantly telling you that he and the Postmaster General are in cahoots to suppress your mail-in vote. So what we have here is another clear abuse of presidential authority in the specific interest of the president. This is becoming eerily similar to l'affaire Ukraine of impeachment fame. No, Susan Collins, apparently the president did not learn his lesson. A financially compromised postmaster general, yes, he still owns tens of millions of dollars worth of XPO and stock and Amazon options. One a major contractor, the other a major customer of the Postal Service, he is supposed to oversee in an objective fashion. But that financially compromised Postmaster General also is showing us his clear intent to suppress voting in key battleground states. And what he's also showing us is the sheer audacity to dare Congress to dare the courts, to dare the American people to do anything about it. And that's where I think the president has miscalculated with his, with his postmaster general. You know what we have found over the years? It's really dangerous to dare America. In this case, it may merely result in increased participation and more mail-in balloting. Voting by mail is easy. It's 100% safe. And I'll explain why in another podcast. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-sweetradio.com.